Let's talk gospel music gold. I'm your host and Sonia Gibbs here to talk with gospel music singers, songwriters, historians, recording artists, choir masters, and directors. In this podcast, my guests will share their journey, their struggle, their strength, and most of all, their inspiration. Some of the guests on the podcast will be well-known throughout the gospel field, and others, you will have heard their instruments, their voices, and their emotions. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. And today with me, I have Dr. Katherine Baker Kemp. She is an associate minister at Memorial Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. She is an author of four books and multiple articles covering gospel music icons and music ministry. Dr. Baker Kemp is a board member of the Chicago Gospel Music Heritage Museum and serves on the academic faculty of Gospel Music Workshop of America, better known as GMWA. She began her music ministry over 50 years ago as a pianist for the junior choir of the Morning Star Baptist Church in Chicago. Let's welcome Dr. Catherine Baker Kemp to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm blessed. How are you today? I am just great. I appreciate you accepting my invitation uh, to come on and talk about not only yourself, but I'll just give a, a real quick quip of how we met is I had received an email that had a voice message uh, after I presented a show, a tribute to the Reverend uh, James Cleveland. And with that, unfortunately, the entire message did not come through to get communication information. So I started looking up, who is this lady that has reached out to me and said that she wrote a book about Reverend James Cleveland? And lo and behold, I found you, thanks <laughs> to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me the story of how you decided. Well, first, introduce my audience to you a little further, and then tell me how you decided to write a book about Reverend James Cleveland. Well, thank you for having me, um, and Sonia. I have always liked to write. I have started writing poetry in, in elementary school didn't become the great journalist that I had hoped to be. But in my retirement, I began writing again, other than technical things, um, educational proposals. And the Gospel Music Workshop of America was a place that I just was overwhelmed by the outpouring of the spirit and the gospel message of um, the founder and organizer, as well as those who had carried on after his death. And I decided that I wanted to write a book about Gospel Music Workshop of America. Mm -hmm. uh, the dean of the educational faculty, of which I was a part, had already written a book about the workshop. And I told him I wanted to write more about the spirit of the workshop. 
not as much as the history as he had. So Make a Joyful Noise, which was my first book about music ministry, uh, is a brief history of gospel music ministry in America. And I started in Africa, brought music all the way through to the gospel of traditional gospel and James Cleveland. Uh, I dedicated a chapter to uh, the person acknowledged as the father of gospel music, which is, of course, Dr. Thomas A. Dorsey and his protege, which many people may not be aware of, was James Cleveland. James Cleveland got his start at Pilgrim Baptist Church under Thomas Dorsey. His grandmother was a member of the gospel chorus. He went with her to rehearsals, became the mascot, and began singing. First, his, in fact, his first solo took place at the age of eight on platform that Professor Dorsey had built for him. And from there, he got his start. He learned how to play the piano by using the radiator and making black and white keys on it, practicing like that. He adored Roberta Martin, and he took her style. Well, his whole life was one of music. And when he felt he was ready to leave the Dorsey organization, the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses, he started Gospel Music Workshop of America. I was fortunate in being able to interview many of the people who had been in there for many years in different facets of it. Uh, one of my favorite interviewers was Dr. Margaret DeRoe, who is a well-known hymn writer and songwriter, as well as a motivator for gospel music, musicians, as well as singers. Also, I was able to uh, interview, which I thought was very helpful, person over the mass choir, and that was Dr. Stephen Jones, as well as other people. So I got it and a flair of who um, James Cleveland was from uh, Mr. James Ford, who is the only original member of the board still living uh, and one of his best friends, godfather of his daughter. And I just got a feel of who he was and how he inspired so many people through his conventions and through his ministry. Okay, that is wonderful. Did you, uh, and you knew him yourself, didn't you? I did not know him personally, but on a first name basis, I knew who he was, but I did not know him personally. By the time I joined the organization, he had already died. Oh. But you can't grow up in Chicago and not have seen James Cleveland. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, that is an exciting way to find out how you developed and thought about writing this uh, book, because you know as well as I do that finding any kind of history on gospel music beyond Thomas Dorsey or Mahalia Jackson or maybe even Sally Martin, you really can't find that information. And I spoke with Dr. Stanley Keeble months ago, who was on my show. And I want to ask the question about the progress of the museum here in Chicago, the Gospel Music Museum. Is there progress? Is there a building? I think you would need to talk with Dr. Keeble more about that. Uh, the, the chairman, uh, Dr. Clay Evans, has died in the interim. I know that we were looking at a building, but with COVID, a lot of things became more or less pushed back. 
So I know that we were in the process of trying to move to one before uh, the death of Reverend Evans. I don't know since then what has happened. I haven't heard anything in 2021 about a building being secured or it being imminent in our future. I know it's a passion of Dr. Keeble and we have so much history. Oh yeah. We are so rich in gospel music in Chicago. A lot of other cities have started gospel museums and I applaud them, but everyone in them comes basically from roots of Chicago or from teaching from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've been around for a while too. <laughs> I try not to tell people how old I am. <laughs> no. It's a blessing to be able to be around now. Oh yeah, it is. Now <laughs> to talk more about you and what you've done in your history of music, talk more about that. Tell us more about that. You got started playing the piano. Did you get formally trained or were you a musician that started playing by ear? No, I was formerly trained, trained by the professor, uh, Wiley Jackson, who was over the music department at Morningstar Baptist Church. Uh, in exchange for my piano lessons, I played for the choir, the junior choir, at which at that point in time, in, in, in the years, did nothing but sing anthems. So naturally, you have to be able to read music to, to play anthems. I started playing at the age of five. Um, my mother taught each of us how to play the piano. So I was the middle of three siblings. We all played. My sister, who was older, was the genius. She, had, she was a musical genius who was on TV at four as a child prodigy. I was her plotting sister who could play by note. And after I um, became an adult, and started playing for the Memorial Missionary Baptist Church in my early 20s, I learned how to play by ear as well as music because in playing for the senior choir who sang basically gospel music, you have to know how to be able to play by ear. And there was a professor, Almond Dawson, who had a group called the Inspirational Singers. Uh, Eva Purnell came to memorial and became the director and minister of music in the early 70s who was a part of this group they had performed nationally they had been on sit or dower and i adapted my playing style from him i just listened to him and was able to to, to be his absolute <laughs> so that is the way i learned how to play gospel music anything that was written you could show me the music and I could play it. Now with the 13 chords and what they're doing now, uh, I am not there. I'm still the one, three, five, seven, nine. <laughs> so I became the director of the music at, at the Memorial uh, probably in the, in the early nineties when uh, Eva Purnell retired and I taught the music for the senior choir until I retired from that in 2003 or four. After I retired from uh, the Board of Education, I kind of retired from both of them, probably around 2009. Yeah. 
And since that time, I have been in ministry, the gospel music ministry of preaching the gospel. So I've gone from the sung gospel to the preached gospel, but they go hand in hand because Thomas Dorsey always said, uh, all the gospel music was the good news about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first book I wrote, Gospel Music Ministry, looked at gospel music as a ministry as opposed to an industry. And in that book, as well as in my second book, uh, which was focused entirely on Thomas Dorsey's legacy, I asked the same question to 21st century musicians. Is it an industry? Is it a ministry? Do mm. we hear the word God? And is it something that lifts God up, glorifies him, exalts him, and edifies the teach the people of God? Or is it something that just showcases your uh, musical ability and skills, your runs, your trills? And are you being an accompaniment or are you being soloist over the music ministry? so that you and your, your music is drowning out what should be the message from the songs. So that is my challenge for 21st century musicians, composers, and singers, as well as they learn how to read music. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I uh, mentioned to someone before, I sang with James Chambers and the Ecclesiastes Community Choir. Okay. And I said the very, I had been singing since I was seven, and uh, singing in my church choir. And um, when we were singing, I said the very first time we went on tour was when I realized gospel music was a ministry and not just a performance. And I, you know, I, I said, who knew that that was a component? You know, I thought it was just an accent <laughs> yes. per se, but who knew that that was a component of the gospel of music? And I said, you know, you, when you look at it in, from that perspective, it changes entirely what is, um, I guess, changes your view as to what's going on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If the music does not lift somebody's spirits, the music doesn't go from heart to heart. The mm. music doesn't glorify God. It's not the gospel. It's Christian music, it's inspirational music, but there is a difference in music that is about God and to God and music that just makes you feel good. Feel good music is something that you listen to when you're away from the church. Mm -hmm. Whereas gospel music primarily was something that you did in the worship service and uh, musicals in religious concerts. But as it became more commercialized, it became more of a performance-oriented industry. And the need to make money or make more money or the competition uh, sometimes left God out of the picture, which has been very unfortunate. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I, just like I said, I, I think that uh, gospel music is an extension of the word of God. Um, I know that uh, my husband and I have, we used to have a nomad theater company and we, my husband did drama in a church. The pastor didn't want to call it drama. He said, let's not call this a drama. And, and he was like, sure, I, no problem. But I think 
that theater can be an extension of what the pastor says. So we can come back after the pastor has spoken and give that in a different format for those, because we know that everyone learns differently and everyone understands differently. So when you take that out of what the word says and utilizes it, it sticks a little bit more with people when you do that. And that is what I think gospel music does is to enhance the word of God uh, and make people remember their, the message. That's hopeful. That is, I think, the true aim of gospel music, because I know that people who would never enter a church will listen to gospel music. And I remember times um, when we used to have afternoon musicals at our church when Eva was still living and directing. Uh, I think it was called the Sheba then, which was right across the street from our church. And when we would open our windows for those afternoon musicals and the gospel sounds would come out, we would have people leave the lounge and come and stand in the back of the church. So it reached them, mm -hmm. the music reached them. It might even have stirred memories of their childhood or their grandmother because those messages, when they come from the heart, reach the heart. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to talk about your, did you, do you write or do you compose? No, I am not a composer. I might change the lyrics to a song that I'm teaching uh, to acquire, but in terms of putting pen and paper and music, that's not something that I do. Okay. Now, just before I started the recording, you were telling me about your ministry with Gospel Music Workshop and that you taught classes. Tell me a little bit about the classes that you teach. Originally, I, I taught classes about gospel music history. Mm. Um, but in the later years, I have taught classes about women in the Bible and women in ministry. And many times we don't know the number of women in ministry or how they got started. And I find that to be a joy because I use women from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then I go into the different eras. Uh, generational eras, 18th century, 19th, 20th. And I find black women who have gone against insurmountable odds to preach the gospel. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, many of these women were singing evangelists, mm -hmm. just as many of our early gospel singers were. Uh, they were preaching evangelists. And, and one that's still alive that does that is Shirley Caesar. She has always been a preaching, singing evangelist. And I wanted them to know more about these women in ministry. And then I tied the women to their spiritual gifts because it is important that we understand our spiritual gifts and how we use them in ministry. And that I have taught the last few years. Wonderful. So I, I don't know why I'm getting feedback from my microphone, but that sounds great because we need to know these things. I always think knowledge is power. <laughs> um, yes, it is. When you learn more, you grow more is what my thought is. And uh, a 
favorite phrase that my grandmother used to tell me was that they can't take it away from you when you learn it. <laughs> I'm not saying it exactly like she said it, but basically uh, she's saying is they, they can't take your knowledge from you. Once you've gotten your knowledge, they can't take that from you. They can take other things from you, You're but right. knowledge they can never take from you. Knowledge is power. <laughs> and we were always denied access to knowledge. That, mm -hmm. was, that was the scheme of things. Because um, the saying was, if you want to hide something from a person of color, just put it in a book. <laughs> because we don't read. You know, we are an oral and an aural. We, what we hear and what we see mm. or say or heard spoken. We don't like to read. And that's been our downfall. Mm. Okay. I've heard a lot of people say that. <laughs> well, also, I, I come from an educational background. So mm. uh, my, my history was children, elementary through high school, junior high, and even a little college. And I can say for a fact, it's hard to get children to read. It's hard to get teachers to read. <laughs> I was a principal as well. So <laughs> you have to know how to read. That's true. That is it's absolutely true. They just want to Google anything they want to know. They get their little computer or tablet and they Google it. And when I wanted to know something, I would ask my mother. She'd say, look it up in the encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. So that's the difference between what you learn and retain and what you learn that's immediately lost. Mm -hmm. And in this generation, if we don't retain our gospel history, we will lose it altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started this uh, podcast to talk to people who are behind the scenes in gospel music and to try to preserve as much as we can. There's so many people that have contributed to gospel music in one way or another. You are teaching others about the correlation between women in the Bible and being evangelists through music. Who knew that that was there? But if you find it and you point it out to people, then they understand, oh, Okay, maybe maybe that's so. Uh, that is, I think that is fantastic because when you look at, like you said about oral history, we have to keep some kind of history going to understand where we'd like to go, our our next steps. Yes. <laughs> now, yes. you talked about your book "Joyful Make a Joyful Noise" about mm -hmm. Thomas Dorsey. Now tell how you came about that, to talk about that. <laughs> oh, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. When I was writing the book about James Cleveland, the Gospel Music Workshop, I was um, diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And I said, well, I'm going to try to finish this book with the Lord's will because I had been fighting a call to the ministry my entire life. But cancer makes you stop and think. Mm. And I told him, okay, I will do it your way. For the rest of my life, I will serve you. I'll not fight you anymore. If you allow me to live, you do not have to worry. I will do it your way. I will become obedient. And in trying to get permission to go to a board meeting to present um, the gospel, this book to GMWA because I wanted to do some marketing, I needed 
uh, to see what my doctor would say. And as I was sharing this with his nurse, I found out she was Thomas Dorsey's daughter. Wow. I had known her for years, never knew she was his daughter. It just blew my mind. I started dancing in the doctor's office. And um, I gave her a copy of the book when I finished it. She'd given me a picture of her father to put in the chapter on him. And when she finished the book, she said, this book wasn't about my father. I said, no, this book was about James Cleveland. I said, but I will write a book about your father. Mm -hmm. And that's how the book on Thomas Dorsey came about. Wow. God knew that I had to do this. And he blessed me throughout the entire writing of the book. Uh, the person, George Nuremberg, who had done uh, Amen, somebody that mm -hmm. gave me the photo that he had taken of Thomas Dorsey to put on my book, the cover, gratis. All I had to do was mention him. I was able to interview people I never would have been able to speak to on a personal basis, such you know, uh, my one of my favorites was Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright and his information on Thomas Dorsey, as well as his mass history of music. He is a musicologist as well. And many people don't know he, he not only sings and plays and preaches, mm -hmm. uh, he is multi-talented. I was able to interview his niece, who is a legend in her own right, Dr. Lena McLean, who taught at it was in Hyde Park. Uh, it was one of the schools in Hyde Park. She had a, a chorus, a glee club, and has taught famous people, including um, some of those that you see, Chaka Khan. It, uh, she, and then she and her husband also had a uh, orchestra group. She even wrote something for John Kennedy. I mean, just a talented person. She was a mute musical prodigy in her own right. I um, visited his hometown in Villarica, Georgia, just by chance when I was visiting cousins in Douglasville, by chance, and that's why I say God had ordained all of this, ended up at the church that someone in his family had built oh. with the choir that has been named for him and found out about a festival that now has been going on 27 years in his honor wow. every year. So I have um, become a part of that. I'm a board member of that organization. And I try, if God wills, to be there every year for that fest. Thomas Dorsey is, there's so many people he influenced that nobody knows anything about. Mm -hmm. so he is just so pivotal in the history of gospel music in Chicago, in Chicago and the lessons that he taught them about why you sing the gospel. So to come from blues, ragtime, the gospel came full circle because his father was a pastor and his mother was a musician, organist, although she had a brother who was a jazz clarinetist and he picked that up too. <laughs> so he had it all the way around. Fascinating family. Talk about six degrees of separation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When you when you think of uh, something in that, and when you talk to people and you find out what they do, you know, just just sitting in in an office and talking to a nurse, and who they are, sometimes yeah. just sitting down and talking with people and understanding or finding out who they are, 
can really open up windows, open up so many different things. And you're like, wow, I never knew that about you. No. <laughs> very humble, very humble. If, if I hadn't mentioned that to her, she probably never would have told me who she was. Mm. Mm. And that just tells you about her being a humble person because, you know, some people go around and right. they'll tell you, well, I'm the cousin of so-and-so and they like four or five generations apart. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Uh, and that means what to me? <laughs> so that is so nice. It is wonderful to hear these kind of stories and to hear what, and just talking about an idea takes you to a different evolution that you found this festival that has been going on for years and this is my first time hearing about it I'll just tell I'll just tell you that this is my first time hearing about it and it sounds like it's very interesting and um hmm, maybe we'll get some more details about it and uh you like to go down it's always the last weekend in June okay. correlates with um, the music month I want to thank my guest, Dr. Katherine Baker-Kemp, for participating in this segment on Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. These shows are to explore, record, and raise excitement about gospel music and its gold. I hope you, the audience, enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Please send me an email sharing your thoughts about this show. Also, if you have any suggestions of future guests you would like to see or hear on the show, send an email to let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. Again, that's let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. Again, I am and Sonia, your host, saying, let's talk, let's shout, and tell of the great news through Gospel Music Gold. Until the next episode, take care and God bless. Are you one of the many Americans that are hoping to find a new job? Do you need to establish new skills or improve the skill you already have? Perhaps you're an HR professional in a company and in need of online training for your employees. Well, I invite you to check out the online training system from Born to Speak to You. Once registered, these online courses are available to you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for 60 days. In the area of human resource trainings, we have courses on Lunch and Learn program, Crisis Management, Diversity and Inclusion, Health and Wellness at Work, office health and safety, workplace violence, and much, much more. Our website is borntospeaktoyou.com, where the two is the number two. That's borntospeaktoyou.com, where you can even arrange for a virtual training for your employees on any one of our 110 training modules.